Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for your life-giving words found in our Bibles. Life and freedom are found in them. Who you are and who we are are found in its passages. God, as we spend time this morning in your word, would you do what only you can do? Would you send your spirit to cause these words to come alive in our hearts? Open our ears to hear. Soften our hearts to what you have revealed. And clear our minds to accept your truth, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we ask you for this. Amen. On a typical week for me, usually a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I will get ready for leading worship for the next Sunday. I'll take some time to pick songs and center them around a theme, the big idea for our time of worship. A lot of the times, that theme will end up working in concert with the sermon in a surprising and amazing way. It, like almost as if they were planned that way, except that they're not. Separately, without anybody comparing notes, without any sort of pre planning going on, routinely, the theme of our times of singing will fit together with the preaching of God's Word in an amazing and unexpected way. And I want to be absolutely clear. This happens not because of some sort of unique gifting in anybody who's preaching or leading worship. This doesn't happen because we plan every aspect of what happens here on Sunday mornings down to the very last detail. I am completely convinced this happens, and it happens often because God in His Spirit are at work. Actually at work Monday through Saturday. Not just here on Sunday mornings. This is clearly God's church, and He has things to say to all of us. And it builds my faith so much. I get to see this week in and week out. This past week was no exception. However, it played out in a surprising and humbling way. Last week, my family and I were in California to celebrate with my sister as she got married. It was a whirlwind of travel arrangements, flights, car trips. We got back into town last Sunday evening, and after unpacking the car and putting the kids to bed and then putting that one kid back to bed who got out, I finally had some time to sit down and listen to Jeff's message from last week. Now, on the way to California on the plane, I had just finished the final finishing touches on this morning's message, my message. But now I was ready. I wanted to hear. I was eager to hear Jeff's message from Psalm 111. Fifteen minutes in to my disbelief, I came to the realization that Jeff's message last week and the one that I had just finished preparing were basically identical. It was weird. Some of the things that Jeff said, like I, I had them written out word for word in places. 
Okay, the quote about John Piper and the orange juice. Yeah, I had that too. Okay, I just couldn't believe it. Now, there was, I mean, there was some differences, right? Jeff said stuff way better than I ever could. But I got to the end of the live stream, and my first thought was, that guy just preached my message. (laughs) And immediately, after having that very arrogant thought, I felt the Lord gently say, no, Zach, that guy just preached my message. But I thought, okay, well, what do I do? I can't show up on Sunday and just like preach the exact same message, right? Everyone's going to be like, yeah, good job, Zach. You copied Jeff. (laughs) Okay, so maybe I thought I'll just, I'm going to come up with something different seven days before it was time to preach. I was very optimistic. But optimism gave way to that familiar last-minute panic of trying to turn in a term paper five minutes before it's due. was very uncomfortable. (laughs) And I felt God's spirit and his gentle conviction as if to say, my praise is more important than your comfort level. So tell the church again to praise the Lord. I don't know what I was worried about, right? As if taking another look into God's word on the topic of praising the Lord is somehow redundant. Like it's it's not really worth our time to, to again look at it. The last five chapters of the Psalms, the term praise is used 45 times. The psalmists clearly were not too concerned about again and again and again calling God's people to praise the Lord. The writer of Psalm 149 wasn't concerned about copying the author of Psalm 148 when he opens his psalm in the exact same way. Praise the Lord. Evidently, this is something that is important enough to be repeated over and over again. It's important enough to be reminded of this again and again. So this morning, I have the privilege of bringing our sermon series, Summer in the Psalms, to a close with a newly titled message, Praise the Lord, Part (laughs) 2. For the past seven weeks, my soul has been so served and helped by our time in this book. We began with chapter 1, where we saw how someone who delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree that is planted by a stream of ever-flowing water. It prospers. They prosper in all that they do. The wicked, they're blown away like chaff. They will ultimately perish. And then in chapter 2, we saw our first sighting of Jesus as God's anointed one. As the nations rage and the people's plot, God looks at that and he laughs. The anointed son is coming soon. And he will break the nations with a rod of iron. We saw in Psalm 13 how God permits our humanity as David cries out to him, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? When it feels like God has forgotten us or left us, we can cry out to him. We can express those human emotions directly to God. 
And then in Psalm 51, we saw how David expressed his sorrow for his sin, remorse for his sin, and how the reality is our sin is way bigger, way, way bigger than we think. But God's mercy is greater still. In Psalm 27, we saw how David sees God and the call, the need for us to seek God's face above all other things. And last week in Psalm 111, Jeff encouraged us to embrace the call to praise the Lord. Not just as some filler phrase to say when good things happen, but to truly praise God for both who he is and what he has done. And now we come to the final chapter in the Psalms. And before we get there, uh, it's almost as if when you reach the end of this book, there is a growing crescendo of a theme. There's a sense of growing excitement and anticipation. If you read this massive book, it is filled with the entire spectrum of human emotions and experiences. And as you read it, there's this question that hovers above it. And it's begging to be answered. After all of these songs about feeling the weight of sin, the comfort of the Lord leading us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the hopelessness of feeling like God has forgotten you, the joy of finding our refuge in God, our fortress, the bitterness of being betrayed by a close friend, the sorrow of the loss of a loved one, over all of these very real and very relatable emotions and experiences, this question floats above them all. So now what? Where do we go from here? And look, it's very freeing to know. God doesn't dismiss us. He doesn't rebuke us for having emotions. Okay, we're not supposed to be Stoics. We're supposed to consider emotions to be a bad thing, a sinful thing. He created us to feel them. They are an expression of us bearing his image. And it's freeing either, even further to know we can take those emotions and you can direct them to the Lord. But what do we do after that? What do you do after crying out to God, Father, I've been waiting for so long for you to bring back my wayward son or my wayward daughter. How long do I have to wait? Will you forget me forever? What happens after you've prayed, Lord, it's been years since I was betrayed by my close friend. I still feel my heart race and a lump forms in my throat just when I hear their name. God, you feel far away from me in those moments. What are you supposed to do after years and years of asking God for healing? But his answer seems to always be, not yet. Not yet. What's left to do when the grief of losing a child is still fresh and raw in your soul? You've offered that up to the Lord, but you still feel it. Like I said, it's, it's, it is freeing. You, there is actual real comfort found in offering up those emotions and those candid cries to God who hears them. But even after that, we're left in this, this kind of paused moment. Okay, now what? What should I do now? Where do I go after that? And these 
final five chapters of the Psalms filled with these dramatic doxologies. They accelerate one after the other into the unexpected answer to that question with passion and excitement that you can almost feel it. You just look at the beginning of each of these final chapters. Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Psalm 147, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you shining stars. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Look, these aren't supposed to be slogans. This is, we're not trying to fake it till you feel it with these. Okay, these psalms aren't saying, I know life can be rough, but let's put a smile on our face. Let's just keep on keeping on. Praise the Lord. Oh, no. No, the psalms are meant to reorient our minds and our hearts to direct praise where it is due even while experiencing the toughness of life. That's what we do next. We praise the Lord. It is precisely when you see the ultrasound and there is no longer a life visible and you cry out to God in anguish, you give and you take away, but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. That's praise. It's when you prayed for years for a spouse, and when you do get married, it, it doesn't look like you thought it was going to look like. The horrible realization that your spouse is not who they seemed, their treatment of you is despicable and wrong in the eyes of God, and you say, I didn't pray for this. You didn't ask for this. God, why? Would you have me go through this horrible experience? This broke me. And in his kindness, God declares, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so even through tears, you can boast all the more with a glad heart because of your weaknesses so that the power of Christ rests upon you. That's praise. It's when you have a bad experience with the church. Okay? Really, really great God. But honestly, some of his people are an absolute dumpster fire. They're a mess. And the past hurt rears its ugly head and you want to run away. You want to protect yourself. You don't want to engage with people. You don't want to build deeper relationships with these kinds of people. But even in light of all of that, there's still this call to praise the Lord. This is meant to be perspective-altering. This is meant to move the baseline from being ruled by our emotions to clinging to truth while experiencing our emotions. These final 
Psalms show us that call, that call to praise the Lord. It's not in spite of all the emotions and experiences that we feel deeply, but it's through them. It's alongside them. It's mixed all together with them. So why is this idea of praising the Lord so important? Why does it get repeated so often? Well, I think it's because we are very quick to forget. This is the whole reason we were created in the first place. I think we all, to some point, to some level, grapple with the question of, why am I even here? What, what, what's my purpose in life? Why do I even exist? Isaiah 43, 21 says, The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. It's incredible. There's two sentences in the book of Isaiah. You got the answer to the question of the meaning of all life and all of existence. Not only that, but it comes directly from the one who created all things and breathed his breath of life into the human frames that he formed that we might declare his praise. That's why I am so convinced that the Lord impressed both Jeff and myself separately in this way. To both of us stir up this church. To both of us stir up this church with the bold call to praise the Lord. And so finally we come to our text this morning, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd like to bring our attention to just three things from this passage this morning. First, praise begins in God's house. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Now, this psalm would have been used as a liturgical part of the temple service, right? So we have, in our church, we have a, a welcome called worship. We sing, scripture reading, prayer, so baptism, communion, sermon, all of these different parts to our service. Psalm 150 was that in the temple, and it was used as a representative of the entire book of the psalms. It was meant to remind people to, to remind God's people in God's house. God's house is a place that is marked by praise. When we think of God's house, the thing that should come to mind is, oh, that's the place where praising God happens 24-7. It never stops. Because for the original readers, as they walked into the temple, 
they would have been passing by these rooms, these chambers off the sides of the temple, filled with men whose sole job was to ensure that praise never stopped. First Chronicles 9.33 Now these, the singers, the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, were in the chamber, chambers of the temple, free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. Can you imagine next Sunday walking into the lobby here and looking off to the side, the conference room, and seeing a group of people whose career was to live here full-time doing nothing except praising the Lord. Right? We hear that, and that sounds so extra. That sounds so way over the top. But God's praise is so important. This level of commitment to it is very appropriate. The same goes for the praise of God in His mighty heavens. Revelation 4.8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come day and night. Now look, there's something very special and unique when we all gather together as the gathered church in this room, and we all lift our voices together and sing praise to God. But if we think that half an hour of singing praise is enough praise for the Almighty God, King of the universe, well, I don't think we're very aware of just how much glory surrounds our God. If our praise is limited to just Sunday mornings, that accounts for point. 3% of our week. The other 99.7% of my week is filled with a bunch of stuff that, that I think is important. My mind is so occupied with so many things not related to the praise of God. I mean, I can get distracted while we're here praising God, thinking about something outside of this room, about a situation or, or something going on that needs my attention later. If we could, if we could somehow visibly see the glory of God right here, right now, do you think that anybody of us, any one of us would be concerned about a single thing outside of this room? If God's indescribable, awesome, pure energy of his unmatched glory were to somehow manifest itself in the next blink of an eye, Do you think that anybody in this room is going to be going, you know, I'm just not really happy with the direction our country is going politically these days? Right? It's it's comical. Try to imagine the scene. Like the church roof is blown off of its mounts by the sheer power of God's glory. Do you think anybody's going to be sitting in the corner thinking, I'm really concerned. Some people said some mean things about our church online, and I just kind of worry about how it's going to look. Are you, are you kidding me? No! Every single one of us would be on our knees, our heads bowed down low, and able to do absolutely nothing else except praise the Lord. Absolutely nothing else would matter. 
An atomic bomb could go off and it would look like a birthday candle next to God's glory. It's not even worth noticing. The sun could explode and it wouldn't even warrant the slightest glance if we could only see the glory of God. There's not a single thing, event, person, or situation that would be able to take your attention off of praising God. He is that glorious. He is that worthy. He is that captivating. He's worthy of all available and possible praise. But if you're like me, you're thinking, that all sounds great, but we can't see the glory of God right now. So what then? And I believe God's word would answer us in this way. And I think that he has already answered us in this way with the scriptures that have been read already. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5.7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 4.6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. We can't and we won't see with our veiled eyes the full glory of God until heaven. Okay? But we absolutely can see something of it with the eyes of faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we fix ourselves on Jesus. That's why we look to Jesus. Right? You look to Jesus, you see the radiance of the glory of God. You see the radiance of the glory of God, then the only response is praise. Praise begins in God's house. For the Israelites, that was the temple. For us, it's not this building. God's address is not 1280 North Cooper Road. His address is in the very core of every believer's soul. The dwelling place of our God is within his people. It's you. It's me. God's anointed one, his own son Jesus, has taken residence in every believer's heart. And if God's house is there, then praise should also begin there. It's like we have chambers in our souls and in our minds where we have singers that are dedicated to praise 24-7. In the, Isra in the Israelite temple, those guys were freed from all other responsibilities, right? So they could focus on praising the Lord. All too often, 
we either task our own singers with singing our own praises or we kick them out of that chamber that's designed for the praise of the Lord and we use that for something else. We need to free them up and let the praise of the Lord come from within our hearts all day and every day. We need to stop filling those chambers that were meant for praise with anxiety over things we can't control. We need to stop using those rooms as deep storage to hang on to the replays of every time somebody's wronged us. We were created to praise the Lord. Is there any room in our souls to walk out that purpose? Or maybe you're like me. There are some things that need to be offered up to the Lord to make some room. Point number two, there is always a reason for praise. Verse two, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Just like we heard last week, we are called to praise God for who he is and what he has done. The Israelites looked back to their rescue, their exodus from slavery in Egypt with the Passover meal to make sure that Nobody forgot God's mighty deeds. In the same way, we as Christians, we need to look back to our rescue and exodus from the slavery of sin. Remember your conversion story. Rehearse it in your mind. Roll it around in your memory. Write it down. Tell other people. Tell others about God's mighty deed in rescuing you out loud, in English, directly to their face. For me, I grew up in a Christian home. I had a loving mom and dad. I'm a pastor's kid. I've been to children's ministry, junior high ministry, youth group, singles group, served on the worship team since I was 14, the whole nine yards. Okay, I prayed a prayer when I was six or seven. But as I went through high school and college, I just got so tired of trying to do the right thing. I just got fed up. I just wanted to live for myself for once. And so I did. I drank and I smoked and partied and did what I wanted to do. I dated, which in our family, we did courtship, by the way. So that was a problem. I lived with one pinky toe in the church and the rest of my body firmly planted in the world, Monday through Saturday. The pressure cooker of living a double life like this came to a head in one single moment, and I will never forget that moment. I was in the Starbucks and Food for Less parking lot on Orange Grove and Fair Oaks in Pasadena, California, sitting in my car knowing that a decision had to be made. If I turned to the right, I would go to the airport, I'd buy a one-way ticket to anywhere, and I'd just leave start over. I'd leave my family, my friends, my church, my God. 
But if I turned left, then I'd go home. I would repent of my sin and foolishness, and I would completely surrender my life to God. It was time to decide. And I sat there way longer than I'd like to admit. Praise the Lord for His mighty deed in bringing me home that day. Praise Him for obliterating my stone-hard heart. Praise Him for the mighty deed of drawing me to Him. I can't imagine. I have a great imagination, and I can't imagine what my life would look like now if I had turned the other way. I certainly wouldn't be here. I certainly wouldn't have married my amazing wife. I certainly wouldn't have my four incredible children. But most importantly, I would still be a slave to my sin. I would still be spiritually dead. If God hadn't arrested my heart in that moment, I wouldn't have this amazing story to tell of God's mighty deeds in rescuing me. I wouldn't be able to tell others of God's excellent greatness and His infinite goodness. He saved me. He rescued me. I can't believe it. I just can't, but I want to praise him for it. So remember your conversion and tell it often. Let it produce praise in your heart. Point number three, everyone is called to praise the Lord. Verses three through six, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, congregation participation time. Who, by a quick show of hands, can play the trumpet? We've got one. We didn't have one in the first service. One, two. That doesn't count. Your French horn. That's later. Okay, one trumpet, okay? Thank you. By a quick show of hands, who here even knows what a lute is? Can you play it? No, okay. <laughs> hands up if you know how to dance. Uh, same with the first. I think some independent verifications needed for all those hands. All right, how about everyone who can play a stringed instrument, like violin, viola, cello? Okay, a little bit more. Okay, what's left? We got pipe. Uh, organ players. We know how to play the organ? Yes. One. One? Oh, two? Yes, three? You can play the organ? Wow, okay. What about drummers? Okay, now, thank you. Now, everybody who didn't raise their hand, raise your hand. More people than not. Do you guys feel a little left out when you, when you read stuff like this? Right, I do. Praise him with trumpet sound. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm just going to skip that one. Praise him with lute and harp. 
I didn't have loot lessons in high school, so I'm just skipping that one too. Tambourine and dance. I can hold my own with a tambourine, but you do, don't want to see me dance. These seem oddly specific, right? And they're very exclusive. They exclude people that are not musicians. What do we do with stuff like this? Right, but if you can't play trumpet, well, then let your words be strong and clear like the trumpet sound. Cutting above the noise, calling those around you to action, to engage with the Lord and to praise his name. Find ways to rouse people's attention and their affection for Jesus. If you can't play the lute or the harp, these instruments that are very soothing to the ear, well, then let your words and your actions bring comfort to the hurting around you. Let the sweet melody of resting in the Lord during trials encourage everyone who will listen. Can't play the tambourine or can't dance very well? Okay, that's fine. Well, let your joy and celebration of your conversion story be infectious. Let your unique words of how Christ rescued you cause others to rejoice and see how good God is. Can't play the violin? That's all right. Strings are like the glue of an orchestra. So let your words be steadying and sure. Hold fast to your salvation and encourage others to do the same. Don't know how to play a pipe organ? No problem. Let your life be like its tall steel pipes and allow the Spirit of God to flow through you to encourage everyone in your community. Let the air of, the, of, of God's breath of life resonate within your soul to produce the loud tones of faith. Not a drummer? Not a cymbal player? Okay, well then let your praise of God be explosive and loud. Let it wake up the sleepy. Let it jolt the distracted to attention. Let the exclamation of your praise of God be shocking and true. Able to be heard a mile away. And finally, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Can your lungs oxygenate your blood? Can you at, very, at the very least just take a breath? No skill. No music lessons are needed. No years of study before you can start. Here's the prerequisites. Breathe in. Breathe out. Outstanding. You're hired. Now praise the Lord. Praise begins in God's house. There's always a reason for praise. And everybody is called to praise the Lord. Now, it can be very easy to hear this passage and this message and be very discouraged when you evaluate your life and you find it coming up short. And you can think, all right, here's what I need to do. Game plan. Going to go out those doors now. I'm just going to praise God some more. And yes, there is an element where we, we need to obey God's word, right? We should be praising God more each day. But the application of this is not to just simply try harder, okay? If you're in a car and you need to go faster, it doesn't matter how hard you step on the accelerator if the gas tank is empty. Pedal to the metal in a car with no gas doesn't mean a whole lot. 
As believers, we need to fill up on looking to Jesus as the thing that fuels our praise. See Jesus as your Savior. Look at how much he loves us. Remember his sacrifice for rebels like us. Recount how he has rescued you from eternal death. Have eyes to see how he cares for us now. And then floor it. Go for it. Let the eyes of our heart take in Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God, and let him be the fuel for our praise. If I could have the worship team come back to the stage, I think it would be very appropriate for us to finish our series in the Psalms by singing together. To respond to God's word in praise of his name. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we want to see Jesus. We want to see the name of the Lord be lifted up above all other names here at Center Church. We want our lives to be marked by continual praise of our God. Lord, you have spoken to us through your very word today. Help us, God, to see the radiance of your glory in the face of your son, Jesus. Let the joy of our salvation and rescue from the chains of sin and death just explode out of this place. May our stories of your mighty deeds bring even more people to proclaim your praise in this place. God, there is no one like you. And we acknowledge that you alone are worthy of all our praise. Amen.